Welcome to the Struggling Pastors Podcast, real conversations about ministry and life. My name is Tian Doan, and I am a struggling pastor. In today's episode, I interview Dr. Buddy Mendez, who is a licensed uh, therapist who works with pastors. He's also a professor of marriage and family counseling at Concordia University. And in this episode, we talk about ministry burnouts and how pastors can manage stress. I think this episode is going to be very helpful to a lot of pastors out there. So let's listen to the interview I have with Dr. Buddy Mendez. Well, today on the show, I have a good friend of mine, actually used to be one of my youth leaders when I was a a little a little tyke, a little a little heathen non-Christian kid going to a youth group looking for girls. But we have today uh Dr. Edward Mendez, but we call him Buddy. Buddy Mendez, who is a, a licensed therapist. He is one of the unique people who is multidisciplined that um he he's a therapist, a counselor, but he also has a, a, a uh, theological seminary degree um, and his counseling. He's, he, he's worked with pastors and um, we've done stuff together at our church uh, with with uh, Dr. Buddy. And I know there's been people that I've referred to Dr. Buddy from our church. And but anyways, um, Buddy, um, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Dan. Doing good. You uh, how first off, like how? How's it going? Like, like you know, pandemic, mm-hmm. crazy stuff with politics. Like, how how's your family doing? How's your practice? So you're you're mm-hmm. also a you're also a college faculty, but you yes. teach psychology or counseling, right? At at Concordia. Yeah. yeah. So I'm a full time professor here at Concordia University. That's where I'm at right now. I teach marriage and family principles of counseling, adolescent psychology. I've been doing that for 27 years full-time. And then also for the past 27 years, I've been doing a private practice part-time in Newport Beach as a clinical psychologist doing psychotherapy. Yeah. And you have, don't you have a, a master's of divinity degree also? Yeah. So I went to Fuller Seminary and uh, that's where I graduated from. And I got a PhD in uh psychology and an ma in theology from fuller man that that uh that's crazy that's a lot of (laughs) it was a long haul (laughs) that's a tough school too that's a tough school it's a tough school very challenging but i i like the way that fuller wanted to have both academic and evangelical integrity yeah you know and that combination really appealed to me and That was the only graduate school I applied to. I knew that God was calling me to counsel uh, from a Christian perspective and and mostly Christian clients and to teach at a Christian school. And so now I'm just living the dream, really. D- didn't you go to Didn't you go to USC for I, undergrad? I did. I, I I tell people I went to USC for football. Uh, <laughs> they they say what positions you play. I say no no no. I went to watch football at USC. 
Yeah, it was a lot cheaper back then, but that's an expensive education from oh USC. Oh my Florida. goodness, man! It, uh, very much so. Yeah, yeah. Thank goodness for uh, financial aid and scholarships. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, how are you weathering this pandemic? And how's the family? Uh, yeah. how, how are your um, your Anaheim Ducks? Are you still following yeah. the Ducks? Is that your? Is that I, your? I am your... still following the Anaheim Ducks, and and they are struggling, uh, just like we all are. <laughs> uh, the family's doing good. COVID sucks, uh, basically, is what I say, and uh, it's impacted obviously everyone in the family. My my son, um, Brennan, is in his uh, third year at Yale Law School right now, and he's um, doing online and living here where it's not as cold as Connecticut. Uh, my daughter, Malia, is a junior at Stanford right now, and you know they're very tight up there in that county. Um, so she's doing online and actually right now living in San Diego and doing online schooling. And then my son, Blake, is a senior at Orange Lutheran, and um, he's playing ice hockey, and they're not allowed to play ice hockey in California. Yeah. So we've been traveling all over the United States, um, chasing Blake around playing ice hockey. So we, we've been all over the place with yeah. that. Um, so it's been a, you know, it's been an interesting time, um, something obviously none of us could anticipate. My my motto for the family has been uh, what the Navy SEALs say, adapt and overcome. That's what we've been trying to do. Yeah. Wow. Yale and Stanford. Do you, you, do you... A couple of smart kids. Yeah. I don't know where they got it. Don't ask me. I have no Do you problem. get uh, that tuition exchange from working at Concordia? <laughs> Not for those schools. Oh, uh, man. I, I am hoping. Uh, now, fortunately, both of them are on scholarships, too. Okay. Um, but I am hoping for the younger one. Uh, there's a particular college I have in mind for him where he can play hockey and it's in the tuition exchange program. Yeah. So we'll see how that works. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah. Man, I don't want to see your, well, they're getting scholarships. So yeah. I, I, yeah. I they're getting scholarships. Uh, it's yeah. it, we're very fortunate. Uh, that's great. God has been very good. Yeah. Yeah. So this is called the Struggling Pastors podcast, and and yeah. what we the reason why I asked you to come on board is that you have a unique perspective of you know working with with Christian students who want to go into you know the counseling professions. Yeah, uh, you're a church person yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a theological background. You mm-hmm. you know you've worked with pastors in the past, and just wanted to get your perspective about. Um, you know what pastors are going through right now. There's there's a lot of people going through discouragement and yes. and burnout and mm-hmm. just you know a lot of churches closing down a lot of you know and, and I know for a fact that you know I had a number of friends of mine that have quit during this time and some have closed down their churches and it's devastating right it's devastating to them and so I wanted to just get your perspective about about that just from your, you know, unique expertise of being a therapist and being a Christian and and a theologian also. Yeah, I would say that burnout is a very real issue and a very real problem uh, for anybody in the helping profession, caretaking profession, um, including pastors. You know, it's one of the things as psychologists that we have to kind of guard against and be on the lookout for. Uh, But 
yeah, especially pastors um, are so susceptible to burnout because the expectations are so high um, that people place on pastors. And um, if pastors get caught up into trying to please everybody and meet all of those expectations, um, it could easily lead to uh, burnout for sure. So um, there's a there's a common like definition or, or, or description of burnout, but there's also a, a clinical um, a definition of burnout. Like what, what can you define your terms? Like what are you talking about with, with burnout? I would say I, I would define burnout as as mental, physical, emotional, psychological and, and spiritual weariness over a prolong, prolonged period of time. That's how I would define burnout. Yeah. Yeah. And what 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 are what does it look like? What are symptoms like? Yeah, burnout? there's lots of symptoms of burnout. Um, you know, some of the ones that I hear from the pastors that I counsel in my private practice, um, things like uh, significant decreases in in joy, things that used to bring them joy don't bring them joy anymore. Uh, decrease in motivation. Uh, really hard to find motivation to do things, uh, a lack of patience, uh, more irritability, uh, perhaps even feelings of resentment, um, definitely exhaustion, lack of energy, hard to get moving, um, loneliness, feeling alone, feeling isolated. Nobody really understands what I'm going through. I'm, I'm in this all by myself. Yeah. Maybe even uh, a little martyrdom. Uh, sometimes because, you know, it's interesting point, um, you make about the martyrdom is, is how sometimes people perpetuate their own complaints, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so the, the martyrdom is like, Hey, I feel alone, but they're not reaching out. You know, they're not, they're not seeking, well, I shouldn't be seeking help. I should be able to handle this on my own, but I feel alone. Well, maybe it's time to reach out. Maybe it's time to get some help, get, get some counseling get some therapy, uh, talk to some really good friends, you know, and, and, and so there's this and, and delegate, you know, maybe it's time to outsource some of the things that you're doing. So, you know, we talk about managing stress as, you know, increasing your resources and decreasing your demands. And, and, and so, you know, maybe it's time to not think of yourself as Superman or Superwoman, you know, Wonder Woman, and start saying, what can I cut out of my life and delegate? And what resources can I bring into my life so that I don't have these unrealistic expectations that I have to be superhuman uh, to be a pastor? Um, I want to come back around to that managing yeah. stress thing. I, that's, yeah. I think that's, uh, that jumps out at me. But uh, let, let's talk about burnout still. Yeah. And, and just sure. in the, even in the ministry, um, in general, like pastors are susceptible to burnout anyways. Like you talk about the caring professions, right? Absolutely. But what, what about during this, this pandemic, this unprecedented change and upheaval and uncertainty, you know, even caring for people and, and, and how does that, what we're going through right now, how does it mm -hmm. exacerbate this, uh, problem? Yeah, I could think of it on the, on many different levels. You know, certainly um, the uncertainty increases anxiety, 
which can, you know, exacerbate uh, burnout. I think that just not having that face-to-face interaction with people, um, it's almost like pastors can draw energy from the people in their church that are present, almost like an actor talks about drawing energy from the audience when they do a play. Hmm. And, and I experienced this uh, teaching my classes on Zoom online. You know, I can kind of see their faces, but it's not the same. You know, they, they have their mics turned off. I tell a joke. I don't hear any laughter, you know, and, and I don't get that kind of resonance and that response that I'm looking for that I would get in a face-to-face interaction. So I think there's a, there's a bit of kind of a deprivation almost that is being experienced. And then certainly there's a, there's a loss of, of social support and, and, and uh, relational connection that, you know, God has intended for us to have, you know, God said, uh, I mean, just think of the term social distancing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, the Bible says God created man. And he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And, and this whole pandemic has caused so much isolation and that's not good for us. We, we are relationally oriented beings and we, we thrive in with relational connections and attachments. And when those are uh, ruptured, uh, either through a conflict between us and somebody else, or in this case, they're ruptured because of the pandemic and because of the orders of the state that say, you know, don't do this, don't do that. Um, we suffer, we suffer. And I think pastors are, are hurting, you know, um, because of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things I've been, you know, I, I experienced myself, but also, uh, hear a lot of stories of pastors is that, you know, the, the devastating, uh, amount of, of suffering and pain that, that people in the churches are, are going through. You know, I talk about, I hear people talking about, you know, having to do like, uh, a friend of mine, we interviewed him a few, he had to do seven funerals in oh. the past couple of months. And, you know, and the thing is, some of these funerals are, are empty and you can't really grieve well with people yeah. and their families. Like, you know, maybe the close family is there, but, but the church family isn't there because of social distancing. And, right. and then everyone is in so much pain and the, and they're looking to you yeah, as to like, like, uh, how are you going to help and fix this? And, and yeah, it, it, you know, yeah, the, the, there's a whole, uh, the pastor needs the, the community to um, assist in offering comfort and support to hurting families and hurting individuals. And, and COVID has, you know, precluded people from being able to even enter the hospital to yep. see a loved one when they're sick. Yep. Or ill. I, I've had a couple of cases where uh, people have had pretty severe, scary, very scary uh, physical, um, what would you say, uh, ailments um, that, and their spouse couldn't even come into the hospital to hold their hand. Yep. Um, and, and, and so I, I'm sure that um, this is uh, having a ripple effect, uh, you know, across the whole church body. And then that just increases the demands that are placed on the pastor to provide the care and the support that people who are more distressed now than they typically would be are experiencing. The needs are greater now. 
So for the pastor out there who's saying, I'm feeling all this. Yeah. Um, one of the encouraging things we could tell them is like, you're not alone. And this is not yes. abnormal. Correct. Like there's nothing wrong with you. No, there's nothing wrong with you. And, you know, when you have a response that feels different to an abnormal situation, that could be a normal response. It, it's not a, a typical, it's not a familiar response, but hey, we've never gone through this COVID thing before. And, and so what they're feeling is a natural feeling, a natural response to a very unusual situation that we're all trying to get through and navigate. Um, I was reading a, uh, I was reading um, Michael Card's book, A Sacred Sorrow. You read that? No. Yeah, it's about the, uh, it's about uh, lament, the prayer of lament. Mm. But but in the foreword of the book is actually uh, the foreword was written by Eugene Peterson, and he tells a story about doing his mom's funeral, um, and he broke down and and just wept during his mom's funeral, and it was because he 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 had just buried his father a few months earlier. Mm. And what happened was he was up there and he just broke down in tears and he just let it go. Yes. You know, he, he, he gave himself empathy and he let it go because yeah. he, he wrote, he says, they get to mourn, they get to grieve. Why can't I? So he just let yes. it go. He says yeah. the whole church was so uncomfortable. They didn't know what to say afterwards. Mm. And they, they came up and they said these, you know, dumb Christian cliches. Mm. And then, you know, quoting Bible verses mm. that, that, you know, make you feel worse. And mm. then he turns to his daughter and says, I hope I'm not like that. Mm. I, I hope I've, I've never said any of those things to anyone. Yeah. And, and it just, rem and, and, and the thing that jumps out at me is he says, they can weep, but why can't I? And he just let himself weep. Yeah. And I couldn't agree with that more. You know, Jesus said, blessed are they who mourn they will find comfort. And Paul said in Romans, you know, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And my students are surprised when I tell them that I cry with my clients in psychotherapy. And it's a good thing. <laughs> it's a good thing to model for my clients the, the expression of emotion the, the, the ability to grieve, the ability to feel the sadness, um, to feel the, the, um, the, the torment with them. And it, it, it increases the sense of connection that you have. I, I, I just had a student in my office uh, this afternoon whose dad is, um, has a terminal disease. Wow. And she was fighting back the tears. And I said, if I have one piece of advice for you it's to stop fighting the tears and she just wept and and I wept and we wept together but it was a really freeing experience for both of us you know to do that blessed are they who mourn for they will find comfort so wow. there's comfort that comes from grieving and the expression of emotion and and, and there's no such thing as a bad feeling. <laughs> so these symptoms that you talk about, you know, yeah. loss of joy and motivation and, and all this resentment, all this, that list, if a pastor feels that, 
it's probably hard for them to admit that they feel that because they was like this. I'm, I feel like I'm whining. I'm complaining. I, I'm not going to tell people, mm-hmm. uh, but they're, but they're actually feeling those mm-hmm. things. Like what yes. would you say to them? Yeah, I would say that um, it's okay to tell safe people, <laughs> yeah. safe people, not unsafe people, not people that are going to, you know, like the example you gave that are going to shame you or belittle you or be disappointed in you, but safe people who understand, who can, um, can say, Hey, I get it. I understand. Of course you feel that way. That makes perfect sense to me. Um, and those, those are the people you need to seek out. You need to kind of um, cultivate those kind of people. You know, I I have a a really good friend, um, that I've known since the sixth grade and, uh, he's a pastor and, um, we love to get together and I'm, I, I live in Orange County, you know, he's in Torrance, so I don't attend his church, but it's probably better that I don't attend his church, you know, Mm -hmm. and we get together with another really good friend of ours. And the three of us all just talk about what we're feeling and how we're experiencing our, our ministry. And, and we're honest and we're open and, and we're real and spontaneous. And, and these get togethers are just gold for us, you know, um, and we've known each other for so long and we trust each other and we feel safe with each other and we bond together. Um, and, and I will say, uh, you know, furthermore, and, and so we do lunch probably once a month and we do this. And then pro- every year uh, we just have a tradition, the three of us, and um, we go away for the weekend, long weekend after the weekend after Labor Day, when the rates go down at the hotels in San Diego and we leave on a Thursday, come back on a Sunday. And um, it's almost like a massive group therapy session, you know, with the three of us. Mm. And it's just so healing and so therapeutic. So yeah, you need to, you need to have those safe people built into your life um, that can help you carry that burden um, and understand, and and they're not going to judge you um, for what you're experiencing. They're, they're rather... Rather, they're going to empathize, validate, support. Yeah. Let, let's let's talk about pastors and uh, formal therapy. I, yeah. I bet you, like, I don't know what the percentage, like, uh, of pastors who who avoid therapy, like they need <laughs> it, but they like I don't know. I think every pastor needs therapy. Yes. But very, very few people, you know, actually seek it. And yes. like, first, why, why, why is that? Why is that so? Why do you think that's so that pastors avoid it? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people avoid therapy, not just pastors. Um, there's just a misunderstanding that if I'm in therapy, uh, you know, that means that I'm broken. There, there, there's something really seriously wrong with me you know, that kind of a thing. And, um, I think it, I think the, the psychotherapist kind of sold out to the medical model because they wanted to get reimbursed by insurance companies. Mm-hmm. And so they started to make psychotherapy sound like, like, um, the medical model where you, the person comes in and they have some, they're a patient 
and they have some sort of disease and, and we provide the cure. Um, and, and I think that ended up discouraging people from going to therapy. I, I like to think about uh, what happens in psychotherapy more in terms of like what happens when you go see a personal trainer at the gym, mm -hmm. you know, you, you might start with a torn ACL, but um, once that heals, you want to keep going because it feels so good and you grow and you get stronger. So I think if we have a, a new understanding of psychotherapy, it's just um, a, a, another way to grow as a person and um, to mature. And um, that, that model like uh, might be, uh, make it a little bit more um, approachable for, for some people rather than the sickness disease, you know, um, model. Um, I think that's one thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think pastors sometimes feel like they have to be, like I said earlier, superhuman. They just can't yeah. be human. They have to meet everybody's demands. And, 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 you know, I, I think it's pretty typical that pastors have, more demands placed on them that they could possibly meet. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, it's, it, it seems like it's, it, you know, um, the job description can be so broad. Mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 and so it's almost like you have to narrow that as a pastor and say, okay, what am I really going to focus on here? And, 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 and what am I going to say yes to? And what am I going to say no to, you know? So, Anyways, I'm kind of digressing, but yeah. uh, I think that there's this sense of uh, it's weak for me yeah. to be in psychotherapy. But you don't. But again, you don't look at someone who hires a personal trainer and starts going to a gym as being weak. Yeah. Um, so I think there's just some misconceptions that we need to clear up about yeah. the whole thing. I heard someone, uh, a pastor friend of mine, explain it this way: is that like uh, a lot of pastors, especially you know in our more conservative Bible teaching tradition, they value like knowledge and the mind and studying and knowing good theology. And, you know, they build this muscle of their mind, but, but um, we're, we've never actually built the muscle of empathy and our heart and our emotions, you know, yeah. Whereas pastors are so focused on, on just their head. But mm -hmm. then when these emotions come up, they don't know what to deal with it. They're trying to think their way out of this. Right. That's a very good point that we are emotional beings. Um, God is an emotional being <laughs> and um, emotions are part of our humanity, um, but they often get neglected. They often get dismissed uh, rather than expressed and understood. Um, I, I often will say to couples that are, you know, they're, they're not connecting at an emotional level um, and they feel detached. And I will say to them, stop trying to solve the problem and instead solve the relationship. <laughs> and I think that is um, so important um, to, to pay attention to the relational connection. I, I, when I teach my principles of counseling class here at Concordia, I say, I think there's a, this big misconception that I'm this wise man who sits up on top of a mountain and dispenses wisdom to help people solve their problems. I said, that's not really what psychotherapy is about. Psychotherapy is about the cultivation of a healing relational connection that, that is very different than the traumatic relational connections that the person has had in the past of their life. Yeah. 
and it's a it's a corrective experience for them. It's not a logical uh, argument. It's a corrective experience, a relational experience that they have to have in order to heal. So yes, I'm. I I think uh, sometimes uh, cognitions get emphasized over and above affect feelings, emotions. Do Do you think? Uh, and this is not. Uh, an autobiographical question, um, <laughs> but um, you know, because a lot of pastors and, and myself included, you know, we, we go into it because uh, maybe there's some unresolved wounds going into it and we're trying to figure it out for ourselves. You know, I, I'm sure that's why a lot of therapists go into that profession, sure. you know, and, and, but pastors like we, I I know that for many years I I try to um I don't know justify something through the ministry or I try to earn something or or fix something about myself or heal a wound through you know and but it's it's do you, it's these unresolved issues I mean do you think pastors are more susceptible just given like maybe why they got into the ministry first do you think that's a a, a good uh, observation or I do. I do think that's a good observation. I think it's very analogous to psychotherapists that, you know, we as psychotherapists are drawn to the field. Probably um, a lot of the draw to becoming a psychotherapist has to do with um, your childhood experiences, you know, and um, maybe trying to finish unfinished business or work something out in a way that was better, you know, Mm. than the way it actually worked out for you in your childhood. Hmm. Um, you know, you know, I, 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 I can think about as a kid, not really feeling the kind of connection relationally that I longed for. And so the idea of being able to provide that for other people was very appealing to me, you know, to, 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 I, I was very empathic and very sensitive to people that are searching for real authentic relational emotional connection and that drew me to the field now having said that i i had injuries i had wounds from not being relationally connected you know and and so i you know got into individual therapy um when i was in graduate school and initially it was well i'm going to learn how to be a therapist so i might as well give this therapy thing a try and see what it's like and then quickly after a couple months realized oh my gosh there's a lot of healing i need to do and um, I stayed in individual therapy for six years, the whole time I was at Fuller. And it was great. And, um, and so I was able to heal those wounds, which then made me even better able to um, be a, an agent of healing for my clients. Yeah. Uh, so, so I, yeah, I would encourage, well, I already do encourage all of my students who want to become therapists, please get your own individual therapy. And, and I think that would be a great recommendation for pastors as well. Um, it, it, I, I really think it would increase their effectiveness. You know, when people ask me, what makes you the therapist you are? I would say the number one thing is my personal therapy. Number two is my supervision. Uh, and number three would be outside reading and going to conferences and workshops. Um, notice none of those three are what I learned in school. Mm-hmm. You know, school helped me pass a licensing exam. Um, but I'm a huge fan of, of doing your own work and, yeah. and that you can't take your clients somewhere where you haven't been. Yeah. yeah. Is there, 
Is there something about um, ministry? Like, think about a pastor, okay? Uh, you go into it and you got these unresolved wounds, right? And, yeah. and is yeah. there something about the, the the role and the ministry itself that stalls you out in your process of healing? That's a great question. I, I think like, 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 like the ministry is actually harmful to your, your, yeah, the, the, the healing of your wounds. Well, I think that, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to, maybe you've got some, um, some ideals about what you want to do in your ministry and some vision and, and that really corresponds to, you know, I want to kind of provide for people the kind of care that maybe I didn't receive. Um, but then people start making these demands on you in ministry to do all these other things. Um, and you get, you get distracted from your primary mission. And you're doing things that you don't enjoy, things you don't like, but things that you think need to be done because people are asking you to do these things. And, and so you're missing out on that experience that really drew, that you were looking for when you first were drawn into ministry. Yeah. And, and, and so one of the things I, I tell pastors is uh, refocus on what really matters and, and let your time and energy and your calendar reflect what really matters to you and what really remember what got you into this prof profession in the first place and focus on that yeah. and you know, uh, outsource and delegate and just say no yeah. to the other things. Just say no, um, because otherwise you're going to have a lot of resentment. Uh, you, you're not going to you're you're not going to realize that dream that you had. Um, and it's going to be very, very disappointing. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think it's, it's very difficult for, for a lot of pastors to actually be vulnerable and to show themselves as, you know, as needing work uh, mm -hmm. because, because they feel like they need to be the, the expert, Yeah, you know? And, and uh, I just love, I love the, the Bible though. The Bible says when we are weak, we are strong. Um, you know, the, the idea that that we are are sinful people, all of our good works are like filthy rags to God. You know, that we're all sinners who fall short of his glory, that we're desperate, you know, my pastor used to say we're desperately dependent upon God. And that's where, you know, one of my mentors, Dallas Willard, said we meet God at the end of our rope, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and that really is the model, the model of humility. That's what Jesus modeled. You know, the humility that, that says, I need you, God, I am dependent on you. I don't have to do it on my own strength. Um, that that's where God meets us in. And that's when he can really use us, you know, when we get to that vulnerable place, and, and I think that is a source of burnout is we actually stop depending upon God. We're, we're trying to do everything in our own strength. And we forget that we've got the God of the universe that can empower us and assist us and help us um, in our ministry. And we just need to trust him. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of 
vulnerability. I, you know, I'm always interested in the things where there's crossover between psychology and theology. Mm-hmm. And, and I do think vulnerability is one of those areas where I think you can make a good case for the need to be authentic and vulnerable, both theologically and make a case that psychologically that's a healthy way to go too. So um, I think yeah. you're hitting something really important, um, which is uh, this idea of, and by the way, w- one of the best ingredients for intimacy and connection, which we all crave, is vulnerability. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to have intimacy without vulnerability. Yeah. 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 You know, um, uh, you know, most of our church is, is, is uh, Asian and, you know, I, I try to be very, very vulnerable in my preaching and my relationships with people in the church and uh, people who come from other Asian churches, they, they, they find that uncomfortable, you know, when I talk about my failures and the struggles and different things. And I, I have these conversations and people are asking, like, why do you share? And I'm like, and this is what I tell them. I said, you know, honestly, um, I'm going to let you down anyways. I'm going to like, I'm going to not meet up to your expectations and I might as well just be, um, be real and just show you in the front end. Cause you're going to find out that I'm not a perfect father. I'm not a perfect husband. You know, um, I, I get sinful when the Lakers lose and, you know, <laughs> yes. uh, and you know, that's my idol. You, you got the ducks. Uh, I got the um, ducks. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, and I realized I, I, for me, being vulnerable, showing my weakness has opened up access to relationships and, and support and, and really an empathy, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. um, let, let me ask you, let me ask you this question about, uh, uh, about empathy. Um, I heard, uh, I was listening to a podcast with Brene Brown and she was talking about um, self empathy um, and like for us, especially in the kind of the caretaker fields where we don't allow ourselves to be like, to, to, to like, we don't show ourselves empathy mm-hmm. uh, because we're like, Hey, there's other people suffering. You got to just suck it up. Even though you're, you know, we, we we're all, grieving a loss. I mean, a loss of opportunity of life of all, there's a loss. Right. But for some reason we say, you know what? Other people are suffering more and I got to worry about other people. So I can't let myself feel this. So we don't show empathy to ourselves. Well, what, what, what Dr. Bernay Brown said, she said that when you do that, when you deny yourself empathy, it leaks out and it destroys your ability to be empathetic to other people. And because when you see another person, someone else complaining, you would say, like, who do you think you are? We're, you know, so do you see that? Do you see that connection of self-empathy versus being empathetic yeah. to others? Yeah, I, I, I totally see the point there. Um, it makes a lot of sense that, you know, um, that there's going to be a consistency in terms of how you relate to yourself versus how you relate to others. I mean, and, you know, you think about people that are highly critical of themselves, they tend to be critical of others too, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and they have to work both on being less critical of others, but also less critical of themselves. And, and, and so empathy would work the same way that if I can be more empathic toward myself, mm-hmm. then I 
more empathic toward others. Yeah. Uh, you know, the other thing I thought about that, that I often end up talking about with my clients is this idea of both and rather than either or. Hmm. And come, I come to it all the time. And so somebody might have the mindset like, well, if I feel, if I, if I complain about my situation, then that means I'm somehow not feeling as bad about somebody else's situation that's worse than mine. Hmm. And it's Good. like either or. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? It could be both and. You could care very deeply about their situation. At the same time, you can complain about your situation. One doesn't distract from the other. It's both and. And um, this way of thinking is, is pretty freeing to a lot of people. You know, like, who am I to cry when, you know, uh, who am I to cry in front of my roommate about getting a D on a test when their father just died? And I say, well, you can do both. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can feel a ton of empathy for them losing their dad and you can still cry about getting a D. It's okay. Yeah. Empathy is not a, it's not a zero sum game. It's not a zero sum game. There's plenty and, to go. Around. And when you show empathy, when I, this is, this is a, what I found in myself was when I give myself permission to feel what I feel and say, it's okay. It actually increases my ability to show up for other people. If I, sh if I could show up for myself, you know, and that's a story that Eugene Peterson like, you know what, I'm going to, it's okay. I'm going to cry. I'm gonna let myself yeah. cry. And, and that's okay. Oh, for sure. For sure. You know, I think about, you know, they asked Jesus, what are, what are the greatest commandments? I actually thought he wasn't going to answer that question. I thought he was going to say, oh, they're all, they're all important. He actually answers it, right? You know, love your, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself, you know? Yeah. And people kind of forget that as yourself part, <laughs> you know? Oh, I gotta, I gotta be, a, like you said, I gotta be a martyr and I gotta go run around loving everybody. But as yourself, it, there's this assumption that you can do both. You can love yourself and love your neighbor. And I mean, how many times when I was in therapy, did my therapist say to me, you're being too hard on yourself, you know, and I had to learn how to have grace for myself. And like you said, it's so true. It's so much easier to have grace for other people when you have grace for yourself, you know? Yeah, so, absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I'm reminded in Isaiah 40, you know, it, it says like even youths grow tired and weary young men stumble and fall and it's like like i, I who is it i don't know is it uh spurgeon someone says you know e even the best of men are men at best or men are still men at best it's like yeah. even the best of us uh yeah. young men will stumble and fall like yes. who do you, it's okay it's okay, it's okay. like it's it's, okay. it's normal it is right and I, and i tell that to my clients you know sometimes my clients will start to idealize me and I'll say, wait a minute, hold on. It's coming. I'm making, I'm going to make a mistake just so you know. <laughs> and when I do, it's okay to be angry with me. It's okay to be disappointed in me. And, um, and I'm not going to blame you for it. I'm going to take responsibility for it and say, yeah, that was my mistake. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> that's a new experience for them. <laughs> you know, they probably had a family where nobody said, I'm sorry. Nobody said, yeah. That was my fault or that was my mistake. You know, it's it's very healing for them and for you to say, you're right. I made a mistake. 
that was my fault. I am sorry. You know, very, and, and, and to be received and welcome back and Hey, that, you know, the world didn't end. It's, it's okay. I love the verse in James that says, um, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. Healed. Oh, that's it. It's confession, forgiveness, reconciliation. That's the model, not perfection. You know, when when I work with couples, I say, look, I'm not going to teach you how to have a perfect marriage. I'm going to teach you how to repair inevitable ruptures in your marriage. <laughs> um, I love that verse in James about, oh, you know, because it says confess your sin to one another. It's not um, it's not confess to God yeah. and, it, and it doesn't talk about forgiveness. Yeah. And uh, it's it's about healing. Uh, confess your sins and then you'll be healed. And and this is one of the things um, I, I want to talk to you offline about is just uh, um, some um, I'll get your opinion on some resources I'm developing. Yeah. But that people talk about sin, um, but we don't talk about our wounds or our weaknesses because you can't confess your way out of a wound. Mm. Um, and, you know, you, that like wounds need to be healed. Yes. And most of our wounds are we, we're wounded because of uh, of a uh, because of a relationship. Yes. And the healing needs to come through a relationship. I say the same thing all the time. Well, exactly. maybe I got it from you. <laughs> no, no, I think truth is truth, right? And I, you just see it and you see it clearly and I I totally agree. Relationships hurt and relationships heal. And that, but pa- so pastors will preach that, but they feel like they cannot participate in that. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's so true. They can, they can participate in it, you know. Um, and it's- you know, at, at, uh, um, I was going to call you that, buddy. Uh-huh. Um, um, you know what? I I, I sometimes feel mm-hmm. that. You know, like, what would you want to wish upon your enemy is like, I want to wish that they win a, you know, a hundred million dollars in the lottery because that's going to ruin their life <laughs> uh, for, for a pastor. You know, if you really hate a person, you would wish that they would become a successful megachurch pastor mm. because I don't think our souls are ready to, that we can't, there's something about it. We can't. There's a reason that it's it's so unhealthy in the life of the pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I know you go to big church, but anyways. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but in general, that, 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 you know, there's good pastors out there that I, you know, but in general, like there's something so unhealthy about ministry that it actually destroys. And we see, we see the ramifications like, like, you know, all these people, you know, affairs and fall. And like, we've been noticing lately pastors and suicide, mm-hmm. right? Where does mm-hmm. it come from? It's like, it's not a new thing. It's always there. It was always there. Yeah. Like we just ignored it. We swept it under the rug and you know, that pastor went away and we just didn't know, yeah. but it's just so unhealthy. Yeah, we we need healthy relational connections with people that we're close to. I mean, that's that's it. And if you're gonna if you're gonna have a, a big church, you better have good small groups. You know, 
uh, my wife just said that to me this morning. She said she went to a Bible study last night and it's the first time she'd actually been in the same room. It wasn't virtual. It was real, you know, and she said it felt so good. She goes, I miss our small group. You know, yeah, you could meet online, you can meet virtually, but it's not the same as being together. And we need the that small group of people, that 12 to 15 people that um, can um, help us to live genuine lives, uh, lives that are where we have accountability, where we have support, uh, where we have mutual sharing and reciprocity. Uh, you know, things we're, we're living out all the one another verses with each other in close relations. People fall in isolation. Hmm. People get isolated. Terrible things start to happen. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people, um, are, 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 you know, they're hiding and, yep. and, and that's not good. It is not good to hide. <laughs> yep. So think about a pastor who's struggling with burnout and yeah. maybe there's some hidden <laughs> wounds and other things that they're dealing, right? They finally come to see you. Um, like what, what, what's your goal? What, what, what are you hoping to, what are the, some of the first initial, you know, steps of, of progress that you would like to, to see? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, um, I want to create a safe relationship for them. And that's going to take some time to where they can really trust me, where I'm, I'm curious about their feelings and thoughts and what things mean to them, but I'm not judgmental. And that's going to create the safety. And um, as the safety starts to emerge, um, then I'm going to um, get them to kind of start to identify, you know, what do you really believe that you need to do um, to overcome, you know, this burnout? And it's interesting. Um, they'll have all kinds of ideas. <laughs> you know, I had a guy one time who said, I think I need to play golf. And I said, well, when was the last time you played golf? And he said, I think it's been two years. I said, okay, your homework assignment is go play golf this weekend. <laughs> and he did, and it felt great. You know, sometimes people will say, I think I need to take a vacation. I haven't taken a vacation in two years. Okay, take a vacation. You know, it's amazing how when they feel safe, they'll come up with all these ideas yeah. on, or they'll say, you know, I really have been spending all my time in the Bible preparing sermons, but I, I remember when I first was in ministry, I was spending time in the Bible just to speak to God, mm. just to, just to, um, uh, nurture my soul, you know, and then I'll say, okay, go for it. You know, yeah. It's so interesting. Like I said, there's this misconception that as psychotherapists, we have all the answers and all the ideas. No, the ideas are within them. They yeah. know. They know. Um, I need to sleep better. I need to go to the gym. I need to start eating. I mean, they come up with all these things on their own. I need to work on my marriage. Yeah. And so what I do is I just try to create the safe place yeah. where we can kind of relax and really kind of refocus on how to get healthy. You know, and, I, I, I think you're doing a couple other things is that you're, you're validating their feelings, right? You're, oh, yeah. you're like, like, like number one, like you're not crazy and this is not like, uh, you're not 
you know, you're not imagining like this is real, but I, I think you're also giving them permission to say, you know what, go ahead and do it. Yeah. Like they, they, like, why can't I play golf? Like they think yeah. they feel guilt or something. And because it's coming, it's, you know, it's coming from a, a, a professional. Yeah. They, and, you know, I, tell, I tell my clients, I go, you know, there's good guilt and bad guilt. <laughs> you know, good guilt is when I promise my son, I'm going to show up at his game and I don't show up. I feel guilty. Well, I should feel guilty. That's terrible. You know, I made a promise. I didn't keep it. But bad guilt is when I never promised to show up at his game. And in fact, I tell him, son, I'd really love to go to your game. But unfortunately, I have to see clients tonight and I'm not going to be able to be there, you know. And if I feel guilty because I'm providing for my family financially by working, that's bad guilt. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And and so um, when uh, you can do the right thing and still feel guilty. And so mm. I I tell my clients, you know. When you're doing the healthy thing, even if you feel guilty and it's bad guilt, I want you to visualize me up in the stands clapping for you. <laughs> That's what I tell them. I'm cheering you on. Keep going. Go to the gym. Play golf. Take take a sabbatical. Take a vacation. Uh, take a day off and just go do a silent retreat. You know what I mean? Whatever you need. I'm cheering you on because uh, John Townsend is a friend of mine. He's a psychologist, Christian psychologist. Yep. He has this, he has this great uh, statement. I, I uh, He says, just because somebody screams doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. Hmm. And I love that because I think pastors hear people screaming and they think they're doing something wrong. Oh, I took a day off and people started screaming, you know, maybe I shouldn't take a day off, you know? no, that could be the best thing for you to do yeah. is take that day off. So, you know, you, you can do the right thing and people can react poorly. You know, I, I had a uh, professor in graduate school and uh, he was raised in India in an orphanage. And he, um, he had this term that he got, it's an Indian Sanskrit uh, word called Nishkarma Karma. And, he defined it. It basically means detachment, but he kind of put a Christian spin on it. And he said, Nishkarma karma means do your duty with faith in God without attachment to the fruit of the action. And mm. that is such a great way to live yeah. that, you know, you can trust God and do something. And, and, and I'm cheering you on. And if people don't respond well to it, so be it. Let the chips fall where they may, you yeah. know? Um, so that's, that's kind of, that's a yeah. lot. No, I, I love that. When you're talking about cheering a person on for, for yeah. doing their soul work. Yes. Because they, that is a hidden thing that they don't get any, um, affirmation about. No. Right. They don't. But, but if they get it wrong, they're going to get fired. Mm -hmm. Right. But no one cares and no one sees and no one values that important work. And I could see that, man, that cheerleader to mm -hmm. say, hey, that's important work that you're doing good. Yeah. I have a my friend, my good friend who's a pastor. He takes one hour a day to do his soul work. And I and and he takes one hour. What does he do? I think he takes one hour a day, one day a month and one weekend a year. 
or something like that. But anyways, I imagine that some people in his church could say, oh, he's just being lazy or he's wasting his time or something like that. Yep. But this is essential. This is essential to avoid yep. burnout. He's got to do this. You know, um, I remember one church I went to the pastor, like you absolutely did not talk to this guy the first three hours of his day. He was alone and he was talking to God and yep. figuring it out, you know, yep. and I, I you know, Monday, oftentimes, uh, uh, for my friend, it's a sacred day. I, I never call him on a Monday. Never. That's his day off. I don't want to disturb him. And yep. uh, he keeps that day sacred. You know, it's a, it's a Sabbath day. Yep. So anyway. Yep. So pastors in burnout, yeah. you need community, you need uh, people to where you could be vulnerable with. Safe people, yeah. Safe sure. people. Yeah. Therapy Therapy's is great. like you... Like it's, you shouldn't look at it as weakness. Like it's, it's important. It's important work. No, we admire people that go to the gym. It's the same thing. Going to, to me, going to therapy is like going to the gym. You just want to get stronger and there's nothing you want to enrich what you already have. Yeah. And I think one of the, you know, I, I've been through different rounds of, of therapy and soul care and and spiritual directors and just, it's helped me so much. And the thing is, um, blind spots, you know, you just don't see what you don't see. And, um, you just need people to help you, uh, discover what, you know, what's, what's underneath. That's a really good point. And, you know, there's something called the Johari window. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but I guess that was maybe the name of the researcher or the psychologist or whatever, but this idea is that, you know, there's things that I see and you see, there's things that I see in myself that you don't see. I'm hiding. I'm not mm. transparent. I'm not genuine and authentic or vulnerable. Um, but there's also things that you see that I don't see. Those are the blind spots. Yep. Yeah. And I need you to give me that feedback. Yeah. And uh, I remember I was playing volleyball with my three best friends. And uh, one of them said, oh, you're so competitive. I go, no, I'm not. I'm not competitive. And then his partner said, yeah, you are. You're very competitive. And then I, I said, no, I'm not, I'm just having fun. And then I went to my partner and I said, come on, set these guys straight. And my partner said, buddy, you're one of the most competitive people I've ever played with. (laughs) And it was a blind spot. I honestly had no clue how competitive I can come across as being. And, uh, And so it's good to get that feedback. And then the, the other part is I don't see it. You don't see it. Neither one of us see it, but it's there. And that's for God to reveal. Hmm. So I love that. Yeah, yeah. I just kind of added that last one on, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's cool because God can reveal things to us about ourselves. So we need we need community relationships, trusting people, safe people. Yes. Um, last thing, you, you mentioned something about managing stress. Uh, you said yeah. increasing the resources, decreasing demand. Yes. That jumps out at me. I never heard that before. Uh, yeah. so let's talk about that. Sure. Yeah. It's, so it's managing stress. It's like life is stressful. Yeah. And and the funny thing is, if we if we have too little stress, we're bored and we actually don't feel that great. If we have too much stress, we're overwhelmed and we don't feel that great. So we need an ideal level of stress anyways. 
And that's easy because life just provides that, you know? Um, and then what we want to do is we want to have our, our resources balance out our demands. It's like a, if you visualize like a scale that you weigh gold on or something, mm -hmm. you know, that each side of that scale needs to be the same weight. Um, and, 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 and so, you know, we, we want to be able to meet the demands that are placed on us and have enough resources to do that. And if the demands are too great, we can decrease those or we can increase our, the weight of our resources to balance it out. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a great little rubric for managing stress in one's life. Mm -hmm. So what are, what are some of the resources? Like, like, for example, we were talking about community, cheerleaders, friends, right? That's, that's a resource. Those are all resources. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. What are some other resources? Uh, maybe just self, um, I don't know, self-knowledge. Um, uh, yeah. I would say that, you know, like you, um, things, things that you would learn, you know, books are resources, uh, seminars, workshops, conferences, uh, that help you have, that help you, um, grow in your ability to work productively and strategically. Um, those are resources. You know, yeah. a lot of times if you can work more strategically, you can save time and energy, you know? So those are resources, yeah. educational, uh, yeah. consultants, um, mentors are resources. Um, you know, teachers, coaches. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You've been listening to a podcast like this or reading a good book. Oh, oh, yeah. Here, here's one for you. Handyman. Oh, what a resource to me. My toilet's broken right now. I can have my handyman come and fix it and I don't have to stress out about it. That's well, that's a little bit of both. That's a resource, but it decreases the demand. Like I don't have to worry about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. When you, when you increase a resource, it takes away a demand too. Right. So yeah. I've got my handyman on call. So if anything goes wrong with the house, I'm terrible with tools, you know, so I can just give him, you know, a list of four or five things. It's the best feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's very good. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I just want to ask you just in closing, um, would you say, speak directly to a pastor who's struggling right now. Maybe they're, they're, they're feeling like, you know, it's not a safe place. They're feeling all alone. Yeah. They, they, they don't, they, they just have these emotions. They don't know what to deal with. Could you speak directly to them? Just a couple of words of affirmation and uh, uh, we'll, we'll close with that. Yeah. I would say, you know, you're not alone. There are other people that are also struggling. And I would say there are safe people out there that you can talk to and that can help you. And it's okay to reach out for help. And, um, and um, that I'm, I believe that God can use these safe people to get you out of a predicament that feels pretty hopeless and helpless. That's what I would say. Wow. Wow. Uh, home run. Uh, that, that's great. Thank you. Well, I, I should say hat trick or something, a hockey term that I know nothing about. <laughs> I love it. Um, so thanks. Thanks for um, sharing your your wisdom and just just I, your I, honesty with us. Yeah. So, Dr. Buddy Mendez, um, uh, appreciate you coming on uh, the show. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Struggling Pastors podcast. My name is Tian Doan, and I hope this has been helpful to you. 
if you found it helpful, I appreciate if you would share this podcast with a fellow struggling pastor and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let me close with a Bible verse, Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Pastor, do not give up. Until next time, God bless you.